Well, the grand drama of Revelation has now come to a close. Our senses have been bombarded by visions of the glory of God and the beauty of our eternal home. We've seen Christ as a conquering warrior, a sacrificial lamb, and a returning bridegroom. We've seen the church as a golden lampstand, a holy city, and a bride made ready for her husband. We've seen gruesome pictures of plagues, and we've met creatures that look like they belong in a Star Wars movie. But now all of that is behind us. All that remains is for John to bring the revelation to a close. And he does so by affirming the truthfulness and the relevance of all that we've seen. He makes it very clear to his readers that these words of revelation are true, that the time is near for their fulfillment, and that the Lord is indeed coming back. Now, this final section of revelation is a, a difficult section to outline because these themes aren't simply presented in one, two, three order. Instead, they're touched upon several times throughout the conclusion. So for the sake of our study, we're going to just focus on one primary theme in each section and thereby hopefully cover all three adequately from the conclusion to the book of Revelation. And we begin by focusing on the fact that these words are true. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 9. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Do you remember the very first time you tried to read through Revelation? You know, how did you react to all the, the beasts and the creatures and the monsters and the plagues that you read about? Well, I'm afraid most of us did one of two things. Either we immediately decided that Revelation was far too deep for us to understand, or we dismissed it as perhaps nothing more than the dreams and nightmares of a lonely old man isolated on a desolate island. I trust that wasn't yours, but the liberals go there with that one. Well, John makes it clear that neither, neither reaction is acceptable. The message of Revelation can be understood, and it is definitely not the figment of his imagination. The angel who had been showing John the holy city declared, these words are faithful and true. 
Everything he had been showing John and telling him was absolutely true. And John understood that to be the case. He realized that the same God who had inspired the prophets of old and had revealed to them what was going to take place was the God who had sent the angel to show him and others through him what was about to take place. John was a link in the chain of communication between God Almighty in heaven and his bondservants on earth. The visions he was having weren't of his own creation. They were of God. The things he heard and saw were not figments of his imagination. They were spiritual realities being presented to him by an angel in pictures that we could understand and to some degree even visualize with him. Well, the wonder of all this forced John to his knees before the messenger God had sent, only to once again be reminded that angels are nothing more than fellow servants of God. And the only one to be worshipped is God himself. The angel was nothing more than a messenger delivering a message from God. And John was to then deliver that message to others. And it was a message it was intended to bless the recipients, not bewilder them. And those who would heed the words of the prophecy of this book would be blessed. Now, obviously, to understand a message, you have to understand it before you can heed it. So the message must be understandable. And I think a key to understanding this message is found in verse 6. Because the things John saw were to shortly take place. That's a key to understanding Revelation, the immediacy of its fulfillment. This was written in 95 A.D., so it means the message John received concerned itself primarily with situations that existed in the first century. And the prophecies that were given to him found their fulfillment, or at least they began to be fulfilled in the first century as well. And that truth, I think, is further verified as we read on verses 10 through 15. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. The relevance of Revelation 
to the Christians living in John's day is highlighted by the fact that John is told not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. You know, when Daniel was given a vision for the future, he was instructed to conceal his words, to seal up the book he was writing, because it was not intended for his contemporaries. John, however, is told not to seal up the words of this book, because the time about which it spoke was near. Now, we've already spent seven months studying the book of Revelation, so there's no need to go back and show how this is true. Let it suffice to say that both the introduction and the conclusion of Revelation makes it crystal clear that the time for the fulfillment of the things written in Revelation was very near. The message had its primary application to events of the day in the first century. And it's therefore wrong to look to Revelation for specific prophecies concerning current events in our day. Now, it is true, however, that we can't apply much of Revelation to our situation. The promise that Christ will be victorious over all anti-Christian forces is still valid. The call to steadfastness in the face of persecution is still needed. The assurance that Christ is in control of world events, still needs to be heard. So Revelation is a very relevant book for our day and a source of tremendous encouragement and comfort for Christians. But it is not a blow-by-blow prophecy concerning current events in the Middle East, as some would have us believe. The times about which John spoke were primarily the times of tribulation and persecution the Christians were enduring in the first century. And it was written in a way that they could understand. They were used to the apocalyptic style with its signs and symbols. We're not used to it, so it confuses us. They knew what John was talking about. They understood the way he was writing And they could be blessed by what he said if they would just heed it. But like today, some would refuse to heed its warnings. And to those, all that could be said was, so be it. So be it. You know, God is not in the business of forcing anyone to do his will. He makes it as plain as he can. And he makes sure we understand the consequences of sin. And if we choose to go ahead and sin in spite of his warnings, and we refuse his offer to forgive us, he lets us do so. Those who choose to do wrong can go ahead and do wrong. Those who want to stay filthy can remain that way. And those who remain outside the church will remain outside the city of God forever. Those who heed what he has to say, however, 
will find in it encouragement to continue practicing righteousness and the strength to remain holy because Jesus is coming quickly with his reward. The resounding message of Revelation is that Jesus is not far away. He hasn't lost touch with our situation, nor is he so far away that he can't come to our aid. Besides that, we don't know when he's coming back in person. It could be at any moment. His statement, behold, I am coming quickly, doesn't necessarily indicate when he is coming. It can indicate how he is coming. The word translated quickly can also be translated suddenly. Over and over again, Jesus emphasized the fact that we are to live expectantly. We are to be ready for his return at any moment. I'm convinced the message of Revelation and all of Scripture affirms that Jesus could come back before I finish the next word. That's the immediacy of his coming. Scripture wants us ready at all times for his return. Revelation wasn't given to us to calculate when Jesus is going to return. He simply wants us ready all the time. And when he comes for us, whether individually in death or collectively at the second coming, he will come to render to every man according to what he has done. Those who have washed their robes, who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, who by faith in the substitutionary death of Christ have had their sins forgiven, will be given access to the tree of life and the eternal city of God. On the other hand, those who continue in immorality and sorcery and idolatry, who continue to lie and murder, will be banished forever from the presence of God and his people. And that day could come for you, if not for the rest of us. This very day. So the time is indeed very near. Our Lord is coming. Verses 16 through 21. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright Morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. So be it. So be it. Again, Jesus personally testifies to the truthfulness of all that John has received. And then he describes himself in a couple of ways that merit our special attention. First, he says he is the root and offspring of David. That means he's both the ancestor and descendant of David. He came before David and he followed David. It was through him that David came, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises given to David. Or as he said in verse 13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the A and Z. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the source of everything, and he will be the conclusion of everything. As the bright morning star, he is the one who will signal the beginning of God's eternal day. He's the star of the dawn whose coming precedes the sunrise of the day of God. In response to that, the spirit and the bride say, come. You know, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to earth. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to indwell the church. The Spirit came to live in the hearts of God's people and to enable them to live lives that bring glory to Him. In anticipation of Christ's return, the Spirit says, Come. And so does the bride, the church. The people of God cry out in anticipation, come! In fact, all who hear the message of revelation and who long for Christ to return, say, come. Now, I believe the come is here directed to Christ, that it's an expression of desire for him to come. That seems to be what it's saying. Not all see it that way. Some feel this is an evangelistic come, that it's an invitation being extended by the Spirit in the church for others to come into the family of God. And then as they respond to the invitation, they are to say, come to others as well. Now, that is indeed a beautiful picture of the way the invitation is extended. And it may be what John has in mind here, but I really don't think so, at least not initially. 
I think he begins verse 17 by picturing the people of God crying out for Christ to come. But then as he writes, come, his thoughts do turn to an invitation. And he expresses that in the last half of verse 17. There he says, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water without cost. You know, even as he draws this grand letter to a close, John can't resist offering just one more invitation. He doesn't want anyone to think it's too late for them. The invitation is still open. Until the final trumpet sounds for you, the invitation is open. And John wants every reader of this letter to know that. He then adds a warning to the letter. A warning not to tamper with the message of this book. Just as Moses had warned the Israelites not to add to or take away from the commands he was giving them, so John warns us not to tamper with revelation. To do so is to change the gospel. Because revelation, as we've already noted, is simply a restatement of the gospel in signs and symbols. It really tells us nothing we don't already know. Who among us didn't know that Christ will win over the powers of evil? Who among us didn't know that faithfulness to the commands of Christ is imperative if we are to inherit eternal life? Who among us didn't know that the future God has planned for us exceeds our wildest expectations. And actually, that's all Revelation tells us. And we already knew that. But it tells it to us in a way that we can never forget. One commentator called Revelation a sacrament for the imagination. I like that. It's God's gift to us to fill our minds and hearts with a fresh, overpowering vision of the realities that have already been revealed to us in the rest of Scripture. Therefore, to add to or take away from the prophecies of this book is to add to or take away from the gospel. And no man can be saved apart from the gospel so clearly revealed in God's word. We can't add anything to the gospel message nor take anything away from the gospel message. The gospel declares that Christ came to this world to die in our place. That he died to pay the penalty for our sins. That Christ arose from the dead showing himself victor over the powers of death and ascended to the Father, and that Christ will come again. That is the gospel. And the one who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. To that we respond, 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And you too can pray that. If you've invited Jesus into your heart. So like John, I don't want to close Revelation without reminding you that the invitation is still open. You too can be cleansed of your sin through faith in Christ as expressed in Christian baptism. And you can then invite Jesus into your heart. And if you'll do that, then we can all with confidence cry out together, Come, Lord Jesus. And I want us to do that right now. If you've accepted the message of revelation, if you believe it, you know it's true, you know that your Savior is coming back, I want you to say with me, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's say that. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's say it again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. How freeing is that? There's no fear in that. There's just anticipation for Christ to come. Let's say it one more time. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. trust and I pray that you can say that with all your being. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And you can say that if His Spirit has entered into your heart. Let's celebrate that promise together now as we stand.